Welcome to the Awakened Collective, where we explore the topics of love, spiritual consciousness, and our divine purpose on this planet. Join us as we uncover the truth that our thoughts shape our reality. Welcome to episode 13 of the Awakened Collective. I am Rick Gregory, and I am so glad that you are here with us today. A special thank you to Audio Alchemy Productions, Daniel Anderson, for the gift they are. Thank you for joining us today. And as always, I'd like to start off reminding you that you have never been separated from your Creator. You are the divine extension of your Creator's love on this planet, and we have never been separated from one another. We are connected at the same source. And in fact, that is kind of the subject of the podcast today. The title of the podcast, this podcast number 13, is The God of Our Understanding. Looking beyond the illusions that separate us from our Creator. And I do want to say that the thoughts and ideas expressed here in this podcast are my own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Audio Alchemy Productions, the studio, the staff. They are mine. And today, I simply ask that you would keep an open mind. Hang on to what rings true for you. You know, I read a lot of books, and I love it when people say, we already know what is true. We're not telling you anything new here. Um, Things just need to, clouds need to move out of the way, and the truth that's already within us just needs to be uncovered. So hang on to what rings true and simply discard the rest. You know, in the rooms of recovery, um, which I am a faithful member, we read a preamble that says that we are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution that we do not wish to engage in any controversy, and we neither endorse nor oppose any causes, that our common welfare in pursuit of recovery comes first. We leave our opinions at the door. Now, mind you, we all have them. But when we are together, we leave our opinions at the door because our lives depend on our unity. It's powerful, and it's life-changing when we recognize that our unity and desire to maintain it at all costs is what makes all the difference. And I am convinced that that freedom that I found, that love, acceptance, tolerance, non-judgment that I experience in those rooms of recovery and that are experienced by millions of people who participate in 12-step groups around the globe, that those things have been a foundation for me to finally look inside and wake up. So we're in month two, and we typically, in the rooms of recovery, talk about the step of the month, and the second step and the third step all have to do with this thing we call God. So step two says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And then step three says, made a decision 
to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood God. Waking up to and connecting with a power greater than ourselves is when the magic began for me and begins for others in those rooms. And you know what? Many folks don't make it through these two steps. And I want to talk about the reason that I believe that is. I believe it's because the biggest obstacle to waking up to the God of our understanding is the concept of God. So where does one pick up a concept of God? Where does it come from? All over the place. We gather information that has been handed down to us through our ancestry, our culture, our upbringing, our academic and religious education, society, the media, social media. Opinions and ideas come at us from everywhere. Some serve us well and some do not. It's no wonder that many who have felt injured by religion hear the word God in these rooms that I'm talking about and say, no, thank you. In fact, hell no. It's kind of like, put it, let's look at it this way. The curiosity of a child in seeing a beautiful bird for the first time enamored by its beauty, just staring at it. But then once they are told what the name of the bird is, the child stores that away and never sees the bird quite the same level, at that same level of wonder again. It's, it's now been labeled. The child has acquired this concept that they now know what this is and they just move on. And I remember feeding birds with my grandfather. I was probably six or seven years old, and every time I would go over there, pretty much every time, we would go out on the porch with tight rolled up pieces of Wonder Bread in a bag, and we would feed the birds. And it's just, it was as if they knew he was coming out because they would just come from everywhere when that door was open and would step out on that porch. And as a kid, I just loved it. And it was usually pigeons and sparrows, now, the sparrows kind of all look the same to me, you know, but the pigeons, the way they walked, the way that they made that little cooing noise they made, and, and the way they bobbed their heads up and down, and the colors around their neck, I noticed the purples and the greens, and they seemed to change hue, and they would move their heads different ways. I thought they were beautiful creatures, but you know what my grandfather told me? Don't feed the pigeons. Only feed the sparrows. And I'm like, why? He said, because they are dirty birds. They crap all over my car. Well, what do you think happened as a kid hearing that? Immediately, there was division in my mind. There was a bird that was good, a bird that was bad. And it, it conflicted me because that bird was so beautiful. And, you know, today, looking back at that, even though that did change my perception as a kid, and that's where kind of that thinking, good and bad, and, and I'm sure you can imagine that we take that kind of thinking, we, I'm talking just about birds, but we take that with us where we go, and we put people in places and label them. 
And it comes from, it, in that case, it came from my grandfather's understanding. I mean, a pigeon is a pigeon is a pigeon. It just is what it is and doing what it does. Yeah, they're bigger, and so therefore they defecate a little more than a sparrow would. But, I mean, come on, for a kid to hear that and then form an opinion, a concept. It's, I got stuck with that for a long time. I think you understand what I mean. So when I say that the biggest obstacle to finding a God of our understanding is the concept of God, I'm referring to our preconceived ideas, our beliefs about God based on so many external influences, like I've already said, our upbringing, cultural influences, religious teachings, even personal experiences. The ideas that we collect, they can be narrow, they can be limiting, they may even become rigid. Just as with the child once hearing about the name of that bird, in my case, what I was told about the pigeon, never thinking to look deeper at it again or question it again. And I know we all know that different religions have different names for God. Um, you're familiar, I'm sure, with those in the Christian religion, Jehovah, Jesus, God the Father. In Judaism, you may hear Yahweh, Elohim, Adonai. In Islam, it's Allah. Hinduism, it's Krishna, Vishnu, Shiva. In Native American spirituality, it's the Great Spirit. But it's when we say that how we understand God and what we believe God to be called is the only truth and that that's what you need to believe. Whether that understanding is positive or negative, that's when we experience in our thinking separation from one another. My hope is on this podcast and with the Awakened Collective that our journey would be one of changing, one of growing, one of openness, curiosity, and a willingness to explore, a willingness to question and redefine our understanding. That we would question things and where we find our concept of God, our understanding of God rigid, that we would be willing to at least look at the information we have collected and reevaluate it, and perhaps let go to embrace a more flexible and inclusive view of God, divine intelligence, spirit, whatever name you choose, a God of your own understanding. We get to choose our thoughts. Now, I was raised in a religious, albeit very dysfunctional, family, and as a very young child, I believed in a God. I, I, I thought the God was out there somewhere in the sky. You know, my first dog that I loved with all my heart, Koki, Golden Retriever, um, was hit by a car in front of my home. I was four or five years old. That dog followed me everywhere. I was four or five years old. And it was hit in front of my, my home, and um, of course I was devastated. My mom and dad sent me in the house, and you know they didn't want me to see what was going on. And of course, I ran to a window to watch, and not understanding what was happening then, but obviously later I did, but the dog was not to the, uh, at a place where she could have been rescued. And a police officer came and shot my dog to put her out of her misery. And my mom and I would lay in the backyard, looking up at the clouds and talking about God, the pets in heaven. I wanted to know all I could about this God. 
I wanted to one day see my dog again. But how does a child learn? If you're a parent, you know how many questions your kids ask. We ask a million questions as a child. We watch and what we hear and see molds our understanding and our beliefs. So when I heard the statement in the rooms of recovery from alcohol and drug addiction, the God of my understanding, I initially felt a great resistance to it. I mean, after all, I have an ego like us all. I pastored a church for a number of years. I studied the Christian Bible, and I never felt or believed that I could have my own understanding of God, that I could question what was taught. I believed that the scholars, the senior pastors, with lots more time under their belt, knew a lot more than I did. But that question arose in me, albeit late in life. If I'm not following a God of my understanding, then whose understanding of God have I adopted? I had awoken to the fact that I had been believing in a God largely based on other people's understanding. And I was finally free to reevaluate and have my own understanding of God. And it's an understanding that's expansive, all-inclusive, and ever-evolving. So when I work with folks in the program of recovery who are struggling on those steps, as I mentioned, where we lose a lot of people, I tell them to make a list. I tell them to write down a list of what the characteristics of God would be, a God, spirit, higher power that they could relate to. Things that, you know, and I leave it to them, but, you know, things that I would write, kind, loving, compassionate, non-judgmental, comforting, caring, forgiving, friendly, patient, all of those kinds of characteristics folks would write down. And we go within ourselves with willingness to think of that. What kind of God, what kind of higher power could I connect with? We go within and we think about that. After all, if I don't know if you believe the way I do, but I believe that the kingdom of God is within us. So we are going within ourselves to make our list where that kingdom of God is. So I believe we are pulling from the characteristics from that source where we are one with our creator. And I also believe that if a whole room of people did this at the same time, had their sheet of paper in front of them, and then we compared our lists we would see how truly connected we all are. For me today, the word God, the name God, as I understand God, is synonymous with love. They are one in the same thing, unconditional love. You know, I, had, I post a lot on my Facebook page, um, The Awakened Collective. If you're not on there, come and join us. Um, and I had a post where I can't remember the details of the post, but I was talking about the unconditional love of God in some form or fashion. And I got a response from someone who was not very happy um, and explained that they did not believe in this God that I was touting, um, that if there was such a God, then why is the world in the way that the, way that, the shape that it's in? If there was a God like that, then uh, he specifically spoke of the war between Israel and Palestine. And why is that going on? And why isn't God intervening? Ch children are dying, and it is a horrible state of affairs. 
And what I shared with him and sharing with you this morning is that we have been granted a free will. Out of the love that I understand God is, we have been given a gift of free will, a free will to choose whatever we want to choose. We can choose in, in, in love or we can choose in hate. God doesn't intervene in our free will. It's like a universal cosmic law. And our choices are made of our free will. And if they're not rooted in love but in ego, as mine sometimes, more often than I'd like to admit, are, they create suffering. And yet many, through their personal suffering, because of their choices, finally awaken to their source, finally awaken to that love. And one by one, God's kingdom of love shows up on this planet. And those egoic choices not only result in personal suffering and human suffering, they also result in planetary suffering. It's free will is a gift. If you've spent time in prison, you probably have a greater understanding of that. So if God intervened and immediately, immediately cleaned up every mess we made by our thinking and choices, I don't know about you, but I would never have learned anything. I would never have grown. I would not have evolved. And I don't think anyone would. I don't believe we would ever have the opportunity to awaken to the miracle of what we are, our purpose, and that we are one with our creator, extensions of divine love on this planet, as I mentioned at the beginning of every podcast. Think of it this way. It would, it would be just like a parent enabling their child by rescuing them from the results of their own choices and actually assisting them to continue to live in a personal hell rather than allowing them to learn from their choices and experiences, which may hold the only hope of them waking up. I think that's called enabling, and I don't see God as an enabler, nor do I see God as punishing. We simply make choices and deal with the consequences of those choices, either personally or the collective, the world. The work that needs to be done is accomplished on the inside. And this is personal for me for more than one reason. I was the dad of a drug-addicted child. For years, I would try and rescue him from the suffering of his choices. I had guilt feeling like I played a part in it. I wanted to rescue him from the choices that were coming about in his life, and I would do whatever it would take. I thought I was helping him. Most often, it was in the form of sending him money every time he would need it knowing, knowing why he was asking for it. Even though the excuses were wilder than you can imagine for the reason he was saying he needed it, thinking I was somehow helping him. If I want to really be honest, I think that it's just that I did not want to have to deal with it or didn't know how to deal with it. 
and I was only prolonging his misery. I was prolonging his hell. And as an alcoholic myself, it took the suffering of my choices for me to reach a point, to finally get help, the help that I needed, to finally surrender and realize I could not fix my problems with the same mind that created them, as Albert Einstein says. Early on in in my alcoholism, I blamed God for the condition of my life. That's what was normal for me. Blame God when things were going wrong. God, why are you doing this to me? Of course, when things went right, I would take the credit. But when things were not going well, I blamed God. When it was all my doing. If it wasn't for the suffering brought about by my choices, I would never have been open to going within myself for the answer. That desperation led to a willingness to do the work, which led to a spiritual awakening and the realization that the kingdom of God had been within me all along. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he spoke in a way that people of that time would understand. And their culture, which was very male-dominated, thus the heavy use of male pronouns throughout. But there's this one verse that always stood out to me in Galatians in chapter 3, where it says, In Christ there is no male or female, no Jew or Greek, no slave or free. We are all one. We are all connected. Gender, religion, status do not exist in that place of oneness. Jesus spoke in Aramaic. He often spoke in parables, as I'm sure we all know. He was speaking to the spirit of mankind and not to the ego intellect. To awaken those who would and could hear the message. In fact, the way he spoke often ticked off the religious folk. He said to the religious people, The Pharisees, for example, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and yet it is they that bear witness of me. Not the me, and in human form, not this Jesus in this physical body, but the truth that he represented, the spirit, the source in him, his teaching that connects us all. He was emphasizing that true life and spiritual fulfillment are not found in words written on paper or adherence to religious rituals, but what those things are attempting to point us to, the truth of his teachings, which emphasize what? They emphasize love, compassion, forgiveness, and spiritual transformation. And in absolutely no way diminishing who Jesus is and was. This has been the message of spiritual teachers even long before Jesus was on the planet. And there were many along the way who grasped this experiential truth. There are lots of people out there waiting for some rescuing God to come in the sky and set everything straight. To fix all of our personal ills and those of this world. But I see God 
as already on the earth. Just as God, the Spirit of God, was in Jesus, God is in us, but we have forgotten that. I believe God's waiting on us to wake up to this truth and remember what we are, that we are the people we have been waiting for, God in us. Jesus also taught that we have been given everything we need. He was a perfect example to us of the way, the truth, and the life, and even said so. He transcended every human limitation, including death, and said we could not only do the same, but do greater things. But so many have fallen asleep to this truth and are just trying to find something outside of themselves, trying to find the answer outside when it's been inside all along. You know, some would say, uh, Rick, these things that you are stating are only true for those who have said a particular prayer and identify themselves as a Christian. I used to believe that as well. Used to. Jesus didn't align himself with a particular religion. Jesus was not a Christian. He taught an example truth and love. In his day, the only folks he expressed any animus toward were the religious. He said in Matthew that they and their religion with their laws, their rules, their hypocrisy were a barrier to people longing to awaken to their source. Their narrow-minded, rigid concepts were preventing people from finding the kingdom within. So if one must be a Christian or have any other religious affiliation to find God, my question is this. How did Enoch walk with God? As stated in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, before Jesus came to earth, before there was any religion, or the Bible was even written. And not only walked with God, but walked so closely with God that it is believed and recorded in the Bible that he did not have a mortal death, but was taken from the earth by another means to be with God. And as I stated earlier, there were those who grasped experiential truth before Jesus came to the planet. I endeavor to adhere to the words found in Matthew, judge not, lest you be judged. I am not a judge. Sometimes I think I am. I have to remind myself of this on a regular basis. In my heart of hearts, I desire to be what St. Francis prayed, a channel of peace, love, forgiveness, hope, light, and joy. But please hear me when I say that I don't believe religion is bad or wrong. While I've had unlearning to do with my decades in religion, because people are fallible, and that includes me, I could have heard things wrong 
as well as things spoken that were incorrect. But it's also where I was exposed to teaching that never, ever left me, that has become a part of me, that I see in a new light today and has become experiential truth. It's when we are convinced that our way of thinking is the only way, that we stand in judgment of others who think differently, and it's not in keeping with love. And it is only love that never fails. I mean, think of it, even way back in 1633, Galileo was tried by the Roman Inquisition for simply believing and sharing that the earth was round and not flat. He was found guilty of heresy, forced to reverse his views. He was placed under house arrest for the remainder of his life, just for thinking differently than the established religion at the time. Judgment separates and perpetuates the sense of disconnection from ourselves and from one another and from our Creator. And the truth is that we are not, nor could we ever be, separate. It is only love that never fails. And I want to close with this portion of Scripture that's often used in weddings. So kind of like my pigeon story. You know, when you hear this at weddings, you just associate it with, you know, uh, matrimony or romantic love. And it, it kind of loses its depth, its wonder. I'm asking that you would take a different look at this today. Set aside your thoughts about being at church at a wedding and hearing this and hear it from your heart. When I say that God is love, when I read this, this is how I see God today. It's the famous scripture in 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. 
But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, love. But the greatest of these is love. I'm going to ask Danny if he would put up our contact page. If you would like to get a hold of us, you can reach out. I think that's the a different one, Danny. There should be one that's just square. That has the incorrect email address on that one. You can reach out to me at Rick Gregory, Rick Gregory, <laughs> Rick Gregory at theawakencollective.org is my email address, especially if you are struggling. And I would love to hear your feedback even on this podcast. So that's Rick Gregory at theawakencollective.org. Um, our website is theawakencollective.org. You can visit that. There's a list of books that I have been reading. would highly recommend. There's a couple of books I've written out there, but please reach out. I would love to hear from you. Above all, remember, you are loved. You have never been separated from your creator. We have never been separated from one another. I want to say another thank you to my friend Daniel Anderson and Audio Alchemy Productions. Until next week, my friends, thank you so much for joining us.